And I wanted to say this too. As we go through this, I talk pretty slow. Most of you know that. And so, anyway, there may be some times that there's a blank there that you don't get. Or I may go too fast or I don't make it clear. Just stop and say, what, what's the answer to that? Or what blank do you want? Or what's the answer do you want there? And we'll be able to do that. And also, sometimes, if we're talking about a particular thing and you say, I'm not understanding or I want more information, just stop me right then. We can do that. We have time built into this that we can do that sort of thing. If it's something that's way going to cause me too much time, I may say, well, we'll talk about that at a different time, or I'll meet with you later or something, but most of the time we can do that. Okay, well, turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I hope everybody has a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, whoops, let me get that, yeah, there you go. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back. Does anybody need a Bible? Anybody need me to get them a Bible? <clears throat> okay, uh, by the way, I, I counted up, there's 10 people in our class that aren't here tonight because of the virus, at least 10 at least 10. There may be more than that, but I've had already about six or eight. So I think eight has already contacted me and said, we can't be there because of this. So and that's, um, that's just going around. And uh, I mean, I just had it not too long ago. So if I can go through it, anybody can. But anyway, so we can make it. Okay, go ahead. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and we begin this evening really a study we're calling Biblical Truths That Every Christian Must Understand. And we're going to look at a number of places in the Bible, truths that we should know, that we should understand, that we could rightly divide. And of course, our goal as a believer is to grow as a Christian, to be like Christ. And look at this. This is our goal. And we know, here's what the goal is that we would know these key biblical truths. And that we can communicate these truths to others. I mean, that's really the goal, right? Is that you would know the key biblical truths from the Bible. And there's a lot of stuff in here. In fact, when I started putting this together, I thought, you know, there's, this is a wide range of things. And, uh, and so we're going to, that you'd know these truths and that you could communicate them and help other people know it. We, we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ as though God be, did beseech through us. We want to know these truths. How can we know them? We realize that a lot of Christians do not understand the Bible. I mean, let's, you know, let me just say this. We have, we have membership training. And we'll have people who want to join the church, and we'll come in here. This is the room we use. And I'll ask people, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And everybody says, yes. And then I say, why do you know that, or why do you think that? And they can't answer it. A lot of Christians can't tell you even what they believe or how they even know they're going to heaven. Now, that's, that's kind of sad, isn't it? And so we should know what we believe and why we believe it and those kind of things. And we're going to look at all these things. In our study, we're not only going to want to know the biblical truths, but be ready to help other people as well to know those. So let me, let me start with this. What is the best news that you think you've ever had? Is it the news of the birth of a child or maybe a grandchild or uh, maybe a great job offer or... A loved one was safe, that something was wrong and they, they were safe. Or maybe you won the lottery. Most people who win the lottery go broke in about five years. Or maybe you got accepted into a certain school. Well, we love good news, right? And, and so when we think about that, the Bible has good news. We call it the gospel because the word gospel actually means good news. God gives us good news. And so I've got right here that good news, God has provided a way. Here's the good news, that God has provided a way that sinful mankind can have eternal life, they can have an eternal relationship with God forever by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is the good news. So you don't have to write down every word. I would put down, God has provided a way for man to have eternal life by faith in Jesus. That's what I would put on that little blank. God has provided a way for man to have eternal life by faith 
in Jesus Christ. That's really what it all boils down to. This is good news. We want to, to be encouraged as we go through this. We want to know the basic truths, and we want to know the foundational truths. We want to know the truths that, that make a difference. And so some of, some of these things that we're going to talk about are fairly simple. In fact, as you, if you look at the outline, and don't look at it right this second, but if you look at the outline, you could say, you could say, well, I, I think I know what that's about. I think I know what that's about. And some of the others, you may say, what do you mean the cross of Christ in the Christian life? I thought Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and give us eternal life. How does the cross of Jesus Christ deal with our Christian life? And so there's going to be some things that we're going to look at. We're going to go, wow, that's some, that's some deeper things. So here's what we got. We got four areas just in this lesson, okay? The first one is this. Why do we need good news? Okay, that's number one. We'll put that. You can just write it in if you want to. Why do we need good news? And then what is the good news? And most of us in this room, if you've been in our church for any length of time, you would be able to say, well, I know what the good news message is. And then we're going to talk about the problem. And then we're going to talk about the challenge. So if you notice the outline or, or your lesson, this lesson one is called the challenge. And so each lesson's got its own title and what it's going to be about. But this is a challenge for all of us in this room as, as we, we get going. We're going to talk about these sort of things. Does anybody have most of that written down? Because here we're going to do, I'm, I'm ready to go, so here we go. Why do we need the good news? We live in a fallen world, and it's full of fallen people. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you go back to the beginning... In the garden, there was Adam and Eve. There was uh, basically it was his name was Adam Adama, which means dirt. Her name was Isha because she was woman. She was taken out of man. She didn't have the name Eve until after the fall. But what happened is the man and woman they failed. They disobeyed God, and when they disobeyed God, sin entered the world. In fact, Romans five twelve says, therefore it's just through one man. One man, that's Adam, sin into the world, and death through sin. Death passed upon all people. All, death spread to all people because all have sinned. And so when we start saying, what's the deal? The deal is that we've sinned, and Adam's sin brought death, if you want to just fill that out. Adam's sin brought death. And so as you look at the top of the next page, if you wanted to fill in that last little blank, Adam's sin brought death. But as, as you look at the top of the next page, we see that all people have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. And we don't measure up to God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does this mean? And how does it fit? And what does it have to do with our problem and all those kind of things? Well, we come into this world dead in sin. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. And I want you to start and I want you to see something. It says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So Ephesians 2.1, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now that's a verse that's powerful. Paul is writing to the believers at, in Ephesus. So he's, it's past tense. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. And all of us come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. And we realize that's what it is. The two key words there are trespass and sin. The word trespass means to step over the line. If you want to put that out by that, it means to step over the line. And it's the idea of knowing something is wrong and doing it anyway. That's what this word means. It's a Greek word in the New Testament that has that idea that there's a line drawn and it says, don't pass that line. If you've ever, I mean, a lot of guys have gone hunting, some other people have been hunting as well, and you're out somewhere and it has no, uh, there's like, there's a fence or something that says no trespassing. And what you know is you're not supposed to go, you're not supposed to go over that fence. You're not supposed to go into those people's property. And sometimes people say, I'm going anyway. And so trespass means that there's something you know is wrong and you do it anyway. 
So you were dead in trespasses. You stepped over the line. The other word is the word for sins, and it's a Greek word that just means to miss the mark. It has the idea that you try to measure up, but you don't measure up. It's, it's not like you're on purpose going to do something wrong. You just fall short. You just, you just can't do it. We just can't measure up. We are sinful people. And, and, uh, and I want you to see something that is amazing that you may have never thought about. But as we carry on in, verse, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, we want to see that Paul says that we are sinners in, in, in three different ways. First of all, we lived according to this world. We lived in this world. Look at Ephesians 2, 2. He says, in which you formerly walked, the word walked there means lived, in which you formerly lived according to the course of this world. We live like this world. I say it all the time. If you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. And before before we were believers, we were living in this world. We lived according to the course of this world. We already know. All you have to do is look at television. All you have to do is talk to people. All you have to do is look at the government. All you have to do is look at different things. And you can see the fallenness of this world. And you can see the evil that is out there. And it is everywhere. And so we lived according to the world. The second thing is we lived under Satan's pull. He's the prince of the power of the air. So we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. That's who he is. And, and my Bible says it this way. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's the devil. And you understand this, that here's the devil, and the devil controls the fallen world. You may say, does he really? Yeah, yeah, because he's called the God of this age. He's the God of this world. God has allowed Satan to control the world system. So we, we walked according to the world. We were under Satan's pull. And then he goes on to say, and we lived in the lust of our own flesh. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, among them we too formerly lived in the lust of our own flesh, desiring, uh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So we lived according to the, the flesh as well. So I want you to think about this. The devil controls the world, and the world affects our flesh, and we sin. And we sin. And that's why we got a problem. That's why we, we need something. We're living that way. And, and here's what's an amazing thing. Look at the end of verse 3. And we were by nature, and this is past tense for us, all of you in this room who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, this is past tense. If you have not believed in Christ for eternal life, this is present tense. But Paul is writing to believers, and so he says, And you were, and we were, are by nature children of wrath. The wrath of God was coming because God deals with sin and God separates. See, the wages of sin is death. Death is always separation. So we cannot measure up to God. That's the problem, right? What's the problem? Well, the second thing is, what is the good news? Now, as I said many times, we know um, when I'm, I'm talking to most of the people in our church that have been here for any length of time, you would say, well, I, I, know, I know what the good news is. What, what is this good news? But here's, uh, here's a great truth. We are lost and helpless, but we are not hopeless. We're not without hope because we have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. God has provided a way for mankind to be saved. By faith in Jesus Christ, he offers the gift of eternal life. Now, I have at the very bottom of the page 
John 3.16. You don't have to turn there because everybody knows it, but go to the top of the next page where you actually see the verse sort of out where it says, God loved the world that he gave his son. Whosoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. And so there is this great passage, God so loved the world that he gave his son. So let's talk about that for just a second. God loves the world. Who is the world? Who is it? That's every person. By the way, you've got to understand that every person. When the Bible talks about the world, the world in the Bible is the Greek word for cosmos. It means ordered system. We've got cosmetology, because that's order in your face and order in your hair and order in everything. That's what it is. So the cosmos, the world, is the fallen world system. God so loved who? The world. That, that's us. He loved every human being that he gave his son. Now, what did he give his son to do? He gave him to die on the cross. He gave him to come and pay for our sin. He came to him to be the savior of the world. He gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for sins and rose again. Now, one of these days we're going to talk about this in more detail. But I want to remind you of something. And sometimes as we go through this class, we might get off the subject just a touch. But I want to remind you of something. When we talk about... Jesus Christ and what he did, he died and rose again. And we're going to talk about that because a lot of people say, what did Jesus do? He died for us. He didn't only die for us, he rose again. His death paid for sin. And he rose again to conquer, to, uh, this paid for sin and this conquered death. And that's for every person. And a lot of people don't understand that. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of every human being. When he rose from the grave, he conquered death for every human being. So God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever, meaning any person, any person who would believe in him. Now, I want you to see this because it's faith alone in Christ alone. Who believes in him. It's faith. It's not works. It's not our goodness. Uh, I, 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 you'll hear people say things like, you need to repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down an aisle, make him Lord of your life, get baptized. All of those are contrary to what the Scripture says. Scripture says believe. And so whoever believes in him will never perish, means to be separated. But what will we have? Eternal life. Eternal life. So I want you to see something because that, that is the verse. And people ask about sharing your faith and people talk about how often do you share your faith and what do you do. And I can remember back in the 70s when I was younger, there was this uh, method of evangelism called evangelism explosion. Anybody ever heard of evangelism explosion? Yeah, some of you have. You had to learn 25 verses in order to share your faith. Most people couldn't do it. I, I think the way to share your faith is just one verse, and that's John 3.16. You don't have to memorize a bunch of stuff. Most of us already know it. You share that message, and people can put their faith in Christ for eternal life. So here's what I want you to see, and this is the key. The good news, the response, the offer. So if you see, it says the good news, okay, in the blanks. The good news, and what is the good news? That Jesus died and rose again. That's the good news. That's the gospel message. Now, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound funny. The gospel message doesn't save you, okay? We'll come to this at another time. I just want to throw that out. This is the good news. The good news is that Jesus died and rose again. What is the response? It is to believe in Christ. The response is to believe in Christ. And what is the offer? It is eternal life. So let's think of the verse. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, gave him to what? To die and rise again, that whosoever would believe in him, that's response, would never perish but have what? Eternal life. So I don't want you to forget this. The message, which is the gospel, is Jesus died and rose again. The response is to believe in him. And the offer is he gives you eternal life. You believe in Christ who died and rose again for you. You believe in him for eternal life. That's the message. That's the message we have to proclaim. This is the message that we need. Remember the first part, what's the problem? Well, here's the way we deal with the problem. And this is, this is the, 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 the good news of this whole aspect. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Now, our goal, and if you look down, is we're to live out who we are. We are children of God. And Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. So we want to walk worthy. That's the blank down there. We want to walk worthy as a child of God. When you trust in Christ as your Savior, you become a child of God. And he says, I want you to live out who you are. So we're seeing a lot of stuff. Any questions? Listen, if there's a question or comment, anything, you stop me. I know that most of us, this is not new that we've talked about this many, many times. And, but if you've got a question or if something uh, is confusing or something at all, just stop me and we'll be glad to go over that, okay? With that in mind, let's talk about the problem. And we're talking about the problem. We're talking about the problem of, of, of being believers. And if you notice under there, under number three, where it says the problem, it says many believers do not know what to do. And this is where it gets down to. Are, are most believers living faithful lives? Do most believers know how to study the Bible? Do most believers know how to share their faith? Do most believers know why you gather? Why do we gather on a Sunday morning? What's this whole thing about? And so we realize, uh, well, let me put this, realize that, that many believers are not doing these things. So let me, let me say it this way. Most believers are not going to say, they would not say, I don't want to grow. I don't want to share my faith. I don't want to study the Bible. I don't want to serve in a local church. Most Christians would never say that, but the problem is most Christians aren't doing those things. In fact, we find so many who don't know the Bible or understand how the Bible fits together, and they don't know how to study the Bible for themselves. They don't know how to share their faith. They don't understand the foundational truths of the Word of God. I mean, if you thought about that, what if, what if I asked you to come up here and say, okay, tell me how you share your faith? You, would you feel that comfortable coming up and doing that? You'd probably say, nah, I, don't, I don't know if I want to do that. Or if I'd say, would you come up here and show me how you study the Bible? What, what Bible study method do you use to study the Bible? And I'm not talking about reading our daily bread and looking at a verse. I'm talking about studying the Bible. And then do, 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 we, do we know how the Bible fits together? What, what is the story of the Bible? That's going to be the second lesson. How does the Bible fit together? I mean, uh, how many books are there? How do they fit? What, 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 is there something before the law? When, when did the Mosaic law come? And, and how, when did it end? Are we under the Mosaic law? How come we don't offer sacrifices? How come, how, I mean, how, how, do we understand the foundational truths of the Word of God? 
And so this is where we are. And I think it's so important that we know these things, that we are foundational truths, that we could put these things together. So I see some of the problems. Uh, our study is just going to help you put some of these things together. And I want it to be very, very practical. And uh, why don't believers know and understand these truths? Why is it that people can be in church for most of their lives and you ask them if they're a believer and they say yes and you tell, ask them why, why, and they can't tell you why. They can't tell you what they believe. Why is it that people go to church for years and they still don't know anything? Why is that? Well, I think that we're going to see that there's really twofold. And the first one, I think, goes back to the local church. And I'm going to talk about it for just a little bit. The local church, here's what's supposed to happen. And we talk about a local church. Let me, let me remind you of something. When we talk about the word church, the word church is ecclesia. It means the called out ones. It means a group. And the word church comes from, basically, it's a Greek word that means the called out ones. And so when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're called out of this fallen world. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and now you're in Christ and you're made alive in Christ. And so when you think about the church, there is the universal church, which is every person who's ever trusted Christ since Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin rose again, and the church age started. Then there is the church in the world which means all over the world there are people who believe in Jesus Christ and they're part of the church. I have a, a, um, a group of pastors. There's, now there, there's about 70 of them. There's a guy in India. His name is Pastor Jacob, and somehow we got connected. And so once a month, in fact, tomorrow morning at about 8.30 my time, which will be close to 7 or 8 o'clock at night in his time, they bring in these pastors from all over, what they call them the tribal pastors, because where they go, there's no roads. And they bring them in, and then we do this Zoom thing or this some WhatsApp thing, and I actually teach pastors in India. And there are a whole bunch of believers there. They love the Lord, and they go out and they share their faith. And so there's the universal church, which is everyone who's ever trusted Christ since he died on the cross. Then there's the Christians in the world right now. And then there's the local church and we're like a local church local church is a group of believers that meet together then we're going to talk a little bit about why why do we meet together why do we have church have you ever heard somebody say to you i don't i don't need to go i don't have to go to church no you don't have to go to church what's church for what is the meeting for what's it all about well let's talk about this for a second i think the local church is the key as believers are together and worship and be trained. Now, we're going to talk about it in just a minute because I want, to, I want to put that up there. Let's talk about, in just a second, the church. And we're talking about the local church. I, I forgot to tell you at the start. Most of you know I have dyslexia, so I can't write. Uh, so I'll put things up there, and I don't even know if it exactly says what it's supposed to say. So I'll try to tell you what I'm writing up there, and if it's wrong, just say, you didn't write it, you didn't spell it right, you did whatever. So anyway, so we're going to talk about the local church in just a second. See, the local church, and I, I've got this, and it tells you what I think already. The local church is the key as believers are together to worship and to be trained. So let's talk about that. Believers are told, and in fact, so many Christians are told, just go to, go to church and give and, and that kind of thing. But many churches... Most local churches are not training believers. 
I mean, we have a Bible Institute. We've had a Bible Institute since we started the church nine years ago, and every church I've ever been involved with, we've had a Bible Institute. And a Bible Institute is where you take classes, where you come in and you can get taught and deeper than maybe a Sunday morning and deeper than maybe a grow group or something. This is where you can actually get into it and raise questions and ask questions and, and small groups and those kind of things. But what we find is many local churches are not training believers. They're not training believers. They, they're even told that you ought to be sharing your faith. They're told that you ought to, you ought to, know how, you ought to study the Bible. But I, I, I taught a class one time on how to study the Bible, and there's a guy that had been a Christian for 20 years. He said, this is the first time I've ever been to any meeting that ever told me how to study the Bible. Okay? So what's the purpose of a local body? And so in many churches, there is no plan to train believers to help them know the key biblical truths. That's one reason I wanted to do this class. I mean, we have the 2-2, we have the 4-12, the 12 Christian Life. We have all those things. We have Sunday morning. We have grow groups. We have all kind of Bible studies. We have all kind of ways to get in the Scripture. So I think we do that. But, but many churches, there's no plan. There's no plan to train believers. And that's why a person can be a Christian for years and still don't know the foundational basic truths. And, uh, and so uh, th- uh, let me give you a side note, okay? This, you can just, you don't have to write this down and all. Here, here's where I think the problem has developed over the years. So many people for years have thought that the purpose of a church is you gather to worship, and that means, and they mean, they mean by that the songs, and then evangelism. For years and years and years, people were taught, you need to bring the lost. Bring the lost. That you're, anybody taught that? Anybody taught you're supposed to bring the lost? Right? Raise your hand if you've been taught. Bring the lost. Right? Okay? And so what you do, why do you bring them? You bring them in, and you sit them down, and here's who's the, the pastor's going to come out, and what's he supposed to do? He's supposed to give the gospel. He's supposed to give a salvation message so that this, one, this lost people can come. And, and maybe at the end, if they've listened well enough, we're going to have an altar call, which might be ten stanzas of just as I am. And the whole goal is what? To get that person to be saved. Okay? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people being saved. In fact, every Sunday morning, I'll present the gospel, even when at the start of the message or at the start of the service, or we'll talk about how to have eternal life by faith. But I want you to see something a minute. I don't think the goal of church is to worship and evangelize. And I'm talking about the church meeting. And so let me tell you what happens. So you are told, bring George. So you bring George. And in your mind, you're saying, George, you better listen because that's why I got you here. I mean, we've got to listen to this guy up here. But what if they don't like him? What if they don't like short, bald-headed people, right? What if they don't? What if they don't listen? What if in the ten stanzas you look at George and say, George, if you want to go down the front, I'll go down the front with you. What does that mean? What, what are we doing? And so let me tell you what happens to the person who is sitting in the pews year after year hearing this message every Sunday. They absolutely do not grow at all. They don't know anything other than the salvation message, and usually the salvation message is confused, and so they don't even know that. What is the purpose of a local church? We call it worship and what? What do we say? Training. Training. We come there to worship ourselves because, see, the people who gather for worship are supposed to be believers. 
The church is not unbelievers. The church is believers. Now, we're not saying they're not unbelievers that come in, and that's why we do present the gospel. But the purpose of gathering together is to worship and to be trained and equipped to serve him. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why we teach through First and Second Samuel. That's why we have grow groups. That's why we have Bible Institute. That's why we do these things. And so I think that what happens is people have been in churches most of their lives, and they've heard the same message over and over, and even if it's a confused one, and they have never been taught Scripture. They've never been taught how to study the Bible on their own. They've never been taught how to pray. They've never been taught how to share their faith. And the result is that believers aren't being trained. So the local church normally doesn't have a plan. Doesn't have a plan. We had a, we had a person, I'm just going to say it in a nice way. We had a person, uh, let, me, let me just say this. People come to our church, they, they sign the little deal. And then sometimes uh, we, send them, we always send them a, a little email and I send them a letter and things. But, but on the email it has a place to put uh, if you'd like to, you know, to give us a survey of what, what did you like the most, what did you like, what didn't, what didn't you like. And, and most people say they like it. But one person wrote and said, where was the altar call? Where was the opportunity for somebody to believe? Why wasn't the gospel message, you know, and you want to say the gospel message was presented, but we don't have an altar call because we are here to worship and train Okay, and so we'll, we'll talk more about that. But the, there's, there are people who've grown up in that, and they just they think that if you don't do that, there's something wrong. And the problem is they've got the same message over and over and over and over again. And they've been Christians for 20 years, and they're still not even sure what the gospel message is, and they sure don't know the scripture. Because when you go on a Sunday, and the pastor one Sunday is in Matthew chapter 5, and the next Sunday he's in Philippians chapter 2, and in the next Sunday he's somewhere else, nobody's going to ever know the Bible that way. When, those letter, when Paul wrote Philippians, he didn't write two verses. He wrote a letter, and you're to study the letter and put the thing together and understand what he's teaching. Letter, those letters are written to churches. So, that, I mean, that, I'm pretty strong about that, but I think that's really the key. That's really the key. Now, the second thing, besides the, besides the problem is the churches, the problem is the believer. That believers, the believer does not understand his role, his or her role, as a child of God. Most people don't understand what they're supposed to do. As one who has trusted Christ, we have eternal life. What are we supposed to do? Uh, think about it. You know what they're told? They're said, be a good Christian. How do you get to be a good Christian? Well, you go to church and you give. And you find a place to serve. That's being a good Christian. That's what a lot of people think. They're told to go to church and serve. And, 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 and what are they really supposed to do? Well, if you look down, God tells us what? We are ambassadors of Christ. In fact, if you look down where it says God tells us, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. Literally in the Greek it says, as God was beseeching you, beseeching us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We represent Jesus Christ. That's who we represent. And whether we're gathered or scattered. And by the way, let me finish this one part. This is gathered. We gather to worship and train. We scatter to evangelize and serve. Now, that doesn't mean we don't serve here. We serve as we do this, but evangelism takes place out there. Let me ask you something. Which is better? Y'all bringing 10 people in here on a Sunday morning and hoping that what I say to them will lead them to Christ 
or 50 of you going out and sharing your faith? Which is better? You know, he never says, come, bring them in. He says, go out. As you are, what does it say? Going. He didn't say, as you're bringing them into the meeting. It's not based on a meeting. It's based on us in our lives going out into this community. We are ambassadors for Christ. It's oh God, we're begging on behalf. By the way, um, Paul wrote something I thought was pretty neat. He said, we persuade men. That's what he said. That's how he said it. Have you ever thought about that? You're persuading people. And we're not talking about tricking them. We're, we're, you're giving them the evidence. You're telling them that Jesus is under God, that he died on the cross, that he paid for sin, that he rose again, conquering death. And he's offering to you a gift. The gift is eternal life, and it comes simply by faith. Will you believe in Christ for eternal life? You're persuading them. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And by the way, we don't make people believe. You don't make anybody believe. People are convinced by the evidence and then they believe. And so you present them the truth of Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he's done, what the offer is. The offer is eternal life. What is the response? It is to believe. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. So we've got this. We have, we have a great commission given to us by Jesus. The great commission is to make disciples. Most of you know this. Let me erase this here while we're talking for a second. But most of you know what the great commission is. It's, found, it's actually found in five places. It's found at the end of Matthew, end of Mark, end of Luke, end of John, and the very beginning of the book of Acts. It's called the great commission. In Matthew 28, he says, um, Jesus came up and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all which I've commanded them. I want to show you something. Making disciples is, is different than just leading people to Christ. Being a disciple is different than salvation. Our goal is to make disciples. It involves evangelism and training. He says, as you are going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the salvation aspect, that they would trust in Christ and be identified with Christ. And then he says, teaching them to observe all which I have commanded you. So to make disciples, what our job is to do is to evangelize and to train. Okay, let me ask you this question. I always ask it at membership training. And it's always the same answers. How many of you in this room believe it is your responsibility to evangelize and to tell people about Jesus Christ? How many of you in this room believe it is your job to teach people the Bible? Every hand should go up. See, here's the deal. We all think, yes, I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus. But who's, making disciples is evangelism and training. Who's supposed to train people? Who's supposed to train people? Not me. I can't do it by myself. I'm just one person. Who's supposed to train people? You are. So how are you going to train them if you don't know Scripture? How are you going to train them if you don't know how the Bible fits together? I mean, how are you going to do it? And say, that's the thing. And most, most Christians say, well, yeah, I, I try to you know, share my faith and try to tell people about Jesus. And I say, well, what about, what about a person that you know is a brand new Christian? What do we do with them? Well, I bring them to church and give them to you. Right? Well, who's supposed to train them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. So when we look at that, we got some, some really good things. So <clears throat> we're to 
to lead people to Christ, we're to share our faith, we're to train and to equip. And so evangelism is proclaiming the good news. What's the good news message? He died and what? Rose again. What's the response to that good news message? To believe. And what's the offer of that good news message? Eternal life. You should know that. And you do. You're amazing. You're amazing. Go somewhere else and ask those same questions. Go somebody that you work with and ask them a question. I have to tell you this. I have a friend that works with somebody. And I'm not going to tell you any more than that because this is on a video. And they work together. And the friend that I have goes to our church. And the friend that he works with uh, goes to somewhere else. And they've been in that church for 20 years. And so one day he just asked the person and he said, let me ask you something. Is Jesus Christ God? And you know what the person said? I don't know. I've really never thought about it. Okay, now this is a person who's been in church for how long? 20 years? What if I asked you, do you think Jesus Christ is God? What do you say? Of course he is. Good gracious. He's the eternal son of God. He's always existed. So what's the problem? How, how come we have people who are in church for 20 years and they don't even know whether Jesus is God or not? You can guess whether they have the, God, the salvation message down. So we have the greatest thing of all. We get to tell people about Jesus Christ. So we got to be clear. Got to be clear on the message. And then we get to train them. We get to help them understand the Bible. Understand how it fits together. Understand how to study the Bible. Understand the flow of the Bible. Understand how to pray. Understand how to have a quiet time. Understand how to do all these things. Uh, and, and, that, and that comes from you. And so if, if, if we're not doing it, we've we're, we're, we got problems. If, if you're not doing it and I'm not doing it, we got problems. Because our goal isn't just to come meet together. It's to be trained and equipped so we scatter. Because here's the big deal. Gathering is the fun thing. We gather, we eat, we talk, we get donuts, we laugh, we sing songs. We have a great time. That's gathering. But at this gathering, we're supposed to be training and equipped so that when we scatter, and when we scatter, it's not as near as much fun. You know why? Because we're going out into a fallen world controlled by Satan that affects everybody and everything, and we're going with a message that is a message of grace. And in a fallen world, when you start talking to people about salvation and you tell them it's faith alone and Christ alone, that doesn't sound right to them. Because in a fallen world, you don't get something for nothing. And they don't understand grace. People in our world do not understand the grace of God. And we get to tell them about the grace of God. So it's, it's really an amazing, amazing thing. So let's talk about the challenge. And this is where it really gets down to it. What are we going to do about it? I mean, tonight, I was giving you a big old background. and we, Almost everything we've talked about tonight, we know. We know how it fits together. We know the Bible. We know the gospel. We know those things. But let, let's, let's get to the challenge. And here's some questions for you and for me. For me, too. This is not just me. This, I mean, not just you. as me. Are, are you sharing your faith? When was the last time you actually talked to someone and told them how they could have eternal life? You might say, well, I, I, I would only know what to say. Okay? Did you know what the statistics show? This is the most... Uh, this is, I have looked at five different places that came up with these statistics, and they all come out to be the same thing. 
80% of believers in their life never share their faith. 80%. 8 out of 10 believers never share their faith. So think about when's the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time you talked to someone and you told them how they could have eternal life? I mean, if the greatest message of all is eternal life, and that we're to make disciples, which means we tell people how to have eternal life, and then after, when they believe in Jesus, we train them and equip them, we, we've got to share our faith. So when was the last time you shared your faith? And you could say, well, Jimmy, I really don't know how. Nobody's ever taught me how. I'd say, okay, we, we'll teach you how. We'll, we'll show you a very simple way. Is your message clear? To me, this is one of the key things, is to see people say, oh yeah, yeah, you need to uh, ask Jesus into your heart. What does that mean? Where in the scripture does it say you're saved by asking Jesus to come into your heart? What does that even mean? Well, you need to give your life to Jesus. Oh, you mean salvation is a swap process? I give my life to Jesus and then he gives me salvation? It's a swap process? I thought it was by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is amazing to me. I read all. I read everything. You know that. I read books all the time. I read everything, and I read. I read people who are supposed to sort of know what they're talking about. And it's amazing to me that on one page a writer will say this, on the next page he contradicts what he said on the page before. I, I read an article this morning that said, "How do you know that you're saved?" And they quoted First John five thirteen. These things were written to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may what? No, he said, these things are written that you, to those who what? Believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So you believe in Christ and you can what? Know you're saved. And then he goes on to say, so if you are walking worthy, living righteous, da, da, then you can know you're saved. So he listed five things you had to keep doing in order to prove to yourself that you're saved. But 1 John 13, 5.13 doesn't say that, does it? So all in one page, the author contradicts himself right there. So there's a, there's a lot of things. When we get down to the thing about uh, payment for sin, there's a one that says the cross of Christ in eternal life salvation. That's one of the lessons. We're going to talk about forgiveness of sin and payment for sin, and they're two different things. And a lot of people don't realize that. And we're going to talk about those kind of things. So the challenge is, are you sharing your faith? Do you even know what to say? Is your message clear that when you do share your faith, if you do, what is your message like? Is it clear at all? Are you training believers? You could say, well, no, I mean, I go to a Bible study, but I don't lead the Bible study. I don't do anything. You know, you don't have to meet in a group of about 10 people. You could, you could get one other person and say, hey, let's go meet at Panera on Thursday mornings, and let's... Talk through the Bible together. And you could take the 412 study or the 2-2 study or this study and take them right through it, right? You could, couldn't you? There's all kind of materials. You, you don't have to say, I don't know what to do. We got materials all over the place. We'll sell them to you. No, I'm, no we'll, give, we'll give them to you. You know, we'll give them to you, okay? So and then, are, are you teaching others so they can do the same thing? We'll talk about it in a little bit later, but it says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, 2, Paul said to Timothy, take the things that I've taught you. Paul taught Timothy. Take the things I've taught you and entrust these to faithful people 
who will then be able to teach others. Do you realize that pattern? Paul taught Timothy. Timothy teaches faithful people. Faithful people teach others. So who are you teaching? Who are you training? Who are you equipping? Are we teaching others so they can do the same thing? Wow. So what are we supposed to do? Colossians 1, I want you to look at this. We'll leave it up there, and then, uh, well, we'll have to fill in some answers, too. So uh, you might go, just do this. You're in Ephesians. Just flip over to Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And look at Colossians 1, 28 and 29. That is an amazing verse, those two verses. And it's, they're overlooked. I mean, I've overlooked them for years because I've used a lot of other verses, but this is a, an amazing verse. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. He says this, we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, admonishing, it's supposed to say every man, I don't know what happened on the thing there, but it says admonishing every man. That means person there. It's, it's a different word. It's, uh, by the way, uh, in Greek, there's a word anthropos, which means human beings, and then there's a word named aner, which means an individual man. This is the anthropos. So he's not saying that you only train men. We're talking about training men and women, admonishing every man, every person, and teaching every man, same thing, with all wisdom. So watch, watch what he says. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. And we'll talk about it, what all that means in just a second. So I hope you're there, and I want you to look at this because it is so amazing. What does he say? We proclaim who? It says we proclaim Christ. Who are you talking about when you talk to people? Listen, you can invite everybody in the world to come to our church. I want you to, but you don't represent our church. You represent Jesus Christ. When you go out these doors, you are called a Christian, which literally means little Christ. You're supposed to be followers of Christ. Now, you can tell people, hey, come to my church, or you'd like you to come, and that's wonderful. Invite everybody. But in reality, you're not representing Stillwater Bible Church. You're representing Jesus Christ. That's who, that we proclaim him. We proclaim Christ. Paul is saying that we're here to, to make known about Christ. Look at this verse. I love this verse right here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now think about this. We're not out there proclaiming ourselves, our church, our ministries. Oh, you got to come. you got to come. Everything's so fun there. You know, you talk to people, and everything's so fun at their church. And, and you get there, and they, they're having fun, but they're not doing anything. And so he said, we're not preaching ourselves, but who? Christ Jesus. And by the way, and this is just for fun, whenever you see Jesus' name in the Bible, sometimes it's Jesus Christ, sometimes it's Christ Jesus. You ever wonder why Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus? Why didn't he say, for we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ? Whenever, the, whatever name is first, if he has Jesus first, he's emphasizing the humanity. If he puts Christ first, he's emphasizing the deity. He says, we're not preaching ourselves, but deity, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, as Lord. That word Lord there actually means master, and it means the idea of God. So he says, we're not preaching ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as bondservants. Who do we serve? Why are you on this earth? Why did God let you live after you trusted Christ? Could he not have said, okay, you trusted Christ, <laughs> come be with me. And everybody that trusted Christ died right then. And here's the problem. Who's going to share the faith if everybody dies, right? <laughs> 
So he says, I'm leaving you on this earth because you belong to me. We've been bought with a price, right? We've been purchased. That's called redemption. And we're going to get into redemption. We're going to look at that in one of those later lessons as well. So we're not preaching ourselves, but Christ Jesus and ourselves as bond servants for Christ's sake. Oh, it's powerful. Listen, y'all, I, I know that um, and I get all fired up about this, but you should. You should too. This is amazing stuff. This is bottom line. Now watch what he says. You've got the verse out. He says, we proclaim him, and then this is what he says, admonishing, and let me read the verse, admonishing every man. The word admonish means to encourage. That's what it means. Admonishing means to encourage people. And you know, we live in a world that is very discouraging. All you have to do is turn on TV, and it's real discouraging. And all you have to do sometimes is talk to people, and they're real discouraging. And sometimes you even talk to Christians. And the real discouraging. I remember Prof. Hendricks at Dallas Seminary, he was my favorite professor. He used to say that, you know, Christians are supposed to be the happiest people in the world. And he said, I look out at some of you and somebody needs to tell your face that you're happy, you know. Because we go around like the world is bad. But the truth is we, we, we have Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. We have the greatest message that's ever been told. So we are admonishing one another. And then he says, we're admonishing every man and teaching every man. Are you teaching everybody? Are you teaching people? Think about it. We, we're encouraging and training and teaching people. We're taking what we've been taught and passing it on to others. That's what we're doing. Think about it. Who taught you? Who told you about Christ? Who gave you the gospel message? Who helped you understand about having eternal life? Who's helped you put together the Bible? Well, you may say, well, nobody ever has. Well, then you need somebody to help train and equip you so that you can do the same thing. He says, we're admonishing every person. We're teaching every person with all wisdom. That's God's plan. That's the best possible way. The wisdom of God. That's what the Word of God is. And then he says, here's the goal. Here's the goal. So that, in the Greek, that there's a word there that means here's the purpose. Here's the purpose that we admonish, that we teach, that we use wisdom, so that we may present every man to God, every person to God. And then he says that we may present every man complete in Christ, the word complete means mature. So what is the plan? The plan is to train believers to be mature. We're supposed to grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Grow to be like Christ. Look like Him. Act like Him. And we're supposed to train each other so that can happen. So that we can train each other to be complete in Jesus Christ. Paul says we labor we powerful, so prevent every man complete in Christ. First Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give an answer. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. Literally it says, To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. If somebody said to you, I understand you're sort of uh, religious and you go to church. Why do you go to church? What would you tell them? What would you tell them? Would you be ready to give an answer? Or if somebody came to you and said, I think that uh, going to heaven is trying to live a good life, what would you do? What would you say? How would you answer that? When people come up and they say things and you say, well, I know that's not right. How, do you know how to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within you, that you can tell them why you believe what you believe? To be equipped and ready, that's what it's all about. That's why it's evangelism and training. That's why we share our faith and we train and equip. And because we don't do this, we don't do this. 
That's the problem. So look at this right here. At the top of the page there. We must know the gospel so we can evangelize. We must know the gospel so we can evangelize. And we must know the Bible so we can train. So right here, evangelism, we have to give them the gospel, the good news message, that he died and rose again. Whoever that believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. We got to know that and we got to be ready and we got to be ready to share our faith. Because if we don't know that, we can't evangelize. And then the second thing is, we have to know the Bible so we can train and teach. And we have to know how the Bible fits together. I mean, the Old Testament, why do they call it Old Testament? And New Testament, and uh, how many books are in this thing? And what are the books for? And, and what is this, first, you know, this book called the Law? And what about these Psalms and Proverbs and things like that? And over here, they got these things called the Gospels and these epistles. Are they the wife of the apostles? Who are these epistles? And those, I mean, we've got all this stuff, right? And, and when you start looking at the Bible, you have to say, what do I know about the Bible? What do I know about the Bible? Why are there four Gospels? Why are there four Gospels? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you read them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are almost the same, or they seem to be the same, and you look at it and you say, well, Matthew says this, and Mark says this, and they're pretty much the same, and Luke says this, and that's pretty much the same. Now, John's a little bit different because he writes it different, but why are there four Gospels? I've told you all this story many times that I trusted Christ when I was 19. I'd never gone to church but one time in my life when I was six, and one time in my life when I was 12, and that was it. And I never knew the message. I wandered into a Bible study when I was in college, and I trusted Jesus Christ. I, I, I trusted in him for eternal life. So I believed in him for eternal life. And so I started reading the Bible. And as you know, I started, you know, what do you, where do you start a book at? At the very beginning. So I started, and it was this Genesis book. And there were things in there I had thought, man, this is amazing. This is good. And then I got to Exodus, and there were frogs and bugs. And, you know, I thought, this is exciting. And then I got to Leviticus. <laughs> and I started seeing, and I thought, you know, this, I'm kind of bogging down. So I thought I'd check the new part out. So I switched over <laughs> to the New Testament, right? So I checked the New Testament, and I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I read them, and I thought, this is amazing. But they're, they're a lot of the same story. That's what I thought. So I went to my very good friend, who just passed away, by the way. He, I loved him. He helped lead me to Christ. Anyway, I talked to him, and I said, hey, Ray, um, why are there these four books, and they're pretty much the same. And he, he didn't know. And he would look at me and said, oh, God didn't want you to miss it. So he did it four straight times. I went, sound good to me. Now I know why they're four. Do you know why they're four? Matthew presents Jesus as what? The king. Mark presents Jesus as the what? Servant. Luke presents Jesus as what? As man. And John presents Jesus as God. Why are those four views? Why are they each of those? Because if you go back to the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, the coming Messiah was pictured as a king, as a servant, as a man, and as God. And the four Gospels give us the fulfillment of the four views of the Messiah in the Old Testament. How many people know that? You can talk to a lot of people and they don't have a clue what you're talking about unless they've been here. right? And then they've heard us talk about that. So the Bible is alive. It's an amazing book. So you're going to have to know the gospel so you can evangelize. But you've got to know the Bible. And let me tell you, knowing the Bible is not one course. It's over and over. It's you studying it on your own. It's you learning how to dig it yourself. It's taking the courses. It's going to church. It's sharing your faith. It's getting into Bible studies. It's, it's talking with other people. It is an ongoing lifetime project.
I've studied the Bible for a long time. I trusted Christ when I was 19. I didn't start growing until I was about 26, 27. I coasted Mississippi State till I was 30, basically 30. I resigned. Then at 31 to 35 age, I went to Dallas Seminary, and then I came here when I was 35 years old. And I, I already knew the Bible before I went to seminary because I studied it all the time. And then when I went to seminary, I got all kind of Hebrew and Greek and all that, and I got a lot of good stuff. And yet, I'm still learning the Bible now, and I've been, I'll soon be a pastor for 40 years. And so, I, this, I, this is amazing stuff. You can never say, I think I pretty much know it. No, you can say, I think I pretty much know a little bit of it. Because there's so much there. It is so deep. We'll study the rest of our lives to know it. But... We can have a big idea of it. We can know what to teach others. We can train others. We can understand the gospel. We can train others. And we got to do that. That's, that's this challenge that we're talking about. And this study is going to help us to do that. Here's my, the verse that I mentioned a while ago. And that is the Second Timothy verse. The things Paul writes and says, Timothy, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul to Timothy, you entrust these things to faithful men, to faithful people, who will be able to teach others also. So Paul says, Timothy, I taught you. You teach others. They'll teach others. So let's just say this. I teach you. What are you supposed to do? Teach somebody else. So that they can do what? Teach somebody else. Now let me just say one thing. Who do you teach? Faithful people. Let me tell you why. Because let's say you said to somebody, Hey, would you like to get together? And you've got, you got the 412 ready to go, or you got this ready to go, and you got your stuff, and you're ready to teach, and you're pumped, and, and you say, let's meet, and you say, let's meet where? Let's meet, at, let's meet at Panera. And so you meet at Panera, and you meet for the first time, and you talk for a little bit, and everything goes good, and then you, you say, okay, we'll, let's, let's meet next Thursday, too. We'll just keep going. And you show up, and they don't show up. And you call them, and they don't even answer the phone. And then you see them later in the day, and you say, what, what happened? Oh, I... Oh, I, I forgot. I, I had my phone turned off. I forgot all about it. And then they meet the next time, and then the next time they don't meet. And then the next time they don't meet. And guess what? You can't train them because they're not faithful. He says, invest your life into who? Faithful people. We always call them fat people, faithful, available, and teachable. <laughs> right? Think about it. Are you a fat person? <laughs> faithful, available, and teachable. That's the key. I'll tell you a quick story, because we do have time. When I came to town here almost 40 years ago, actually 36 or 37 years ago, I had this person that was doing the music in the church that I was in. And, of course, I was brand new as a pastor, and I knew you're supposed to train people. And so I went to this guy, and I said, would you, um, would you want to you know, start meeting? We could talk about the Bible and everything. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. So we were going to meet at the old, the old Holiday Inn, which is now nothing. It used to be, went to the Quality Inn, and then it went to an unquality Inn, and, and that's why it's not anything anymore. And so we met at Holiday Inn, and then I said, let's meet. And so we, next week we're going to meet, and, and it was back before cell phones, of course. And he never showed up. And I actually went to the, one of the phones at the thing. Can I borrow one of the phones? And I tried to call him, and I got no answer. And so... I saw him, and I said, you weren't there? He went, yeah, I know. And so I said, we want to meet? Oh, yeah. So we met the next Thursday morning. He never showed up either. So I called him, and I said, I finally got him. And I said, you didn't show up? He said, yeah, I know. I said, how come? He said, oh, I just wanted to see if you'd be there. I'm not coming. So he wasn't faithful. And so guess what? I never met with him again. 
I mean, I, I liked him as a person, but he didn't want to study the Bible, and he didn't want to grow, and he didn't want to know. And sometimes we take what we've heard, and we tell other people, and we t entrust this to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So you know what your goal is? Find faithful people that you come in contact with every day and train them and equip them. That's your job. And you may say, well, I don't know what to train them with. Okay, you, well, you're taking this class, and we've also got the 412 material, and we've also got the 2-2 material, and we've got the Christian life material, and we've got whatever you material you want. You can get that, and we'll show you how to do it, because that's our job. The key is multiplication. The key is multiplication. Let me tell you this. If I went, let's just say, 10 nights in a row and led 10 people to Christ, in 10 nights I got 100 people, but I didn't meet with them. But if each one of you in this room met with one person and trained them for six months, think how many that would be. And then if one of them got one, it would double. It would double and quadruple. It's, it's amazing. So let me give you, let's go back to the front of your book for a second. And let's look at the outline of what our study is going to be like, okay? If you notice, tonight is the introduction, which is the challenge. And uh, we'll have a little quiz. I'll give you the quiz in a minute so that you can make 100 for next week if you want to do that. We're going to talk about the story of the Bible, which is the issue of reconciliation. Most people think the story of the Bible is salvation. Uh, the story of the Bible is not salvation. It's reconciliation. We'll talk about that. Then I got a lesson called being saved three times. The first time, if you've never understood justification, sanctification, glorification, if you've never understood how this fits together, it will change your life on how you look at the Scripture when the Bible says our salvation is nearer than it's ever been. Or you'll read a verse that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you could say, I thought I was already saved. We're going to talk about that. Then number four is eternal life or temporary life. The difference about a security and assurance. Now, we're going to, each one of these is very simple, but, it, but we're going to look at some really details in them. And then we're going to talk about truths concerning the Christian life. I call it the two greats, the great commandment and the great commission. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about why do we run the race, about rewards. By the way, most Christians aren't taught rewards. You know that. We're taught them here. We're taught that you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and be rewarded, right? Do you all agree with that? Did you know most Christians think the reward is salvation? You live right, you get eternal life. You get to be with God. The reward, when you talk to them about rewards, and we're going to talk about it when we get to the lesson, a lot of people say, I've never even heard of rewards, and I think the reward is going to heaven. Okay, we'll talk about rewards. And then, <clears throat> biblical, tithing or offering? <laughs> we're going to talk about biblical giving, which most people have been taught wrong all their lives. In fact, I would say 90%. Let me ask you this question. Just raise your hand. How many of you are taught that you need to give 10%? How many? Okay. Uh, I mean, any hands not go up? How many were people were taught that you're not supposed to give 10%? Okay. Well, it on the time. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to look at that. Does the Bible say you're to give 10%? We'll talk about it. Uh, living or dead, we're going to talk about sacrifices. And we mentioned this in the Grow Group last Sunday morning, but we're going to talk about sacrifices. What, what sacrifices do we offer? Because we know the Old Testament, they offered animals. Do we offer any animals today? What kind of sacrifices do we offer? Then we're going to talk about God talks to us. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and said God told him something? Oh, that, did you hear his voice? How, how, I mean, how do you know he told you something? And we're going to talk about how God talks to us, and that's the Bible study. And then we're going to talk about the cross of Christ in eternal life salvation. 
You will be amazed at this because we're going to talk about redemption and the whole idea of payment for sin and the whole idea of forgiveness of sin. And there are two different things. And we'll see that. Then we're going to look at the cross of Christ in the Christian life salvation. And most people would say, you're telling me that Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection is the basis for my victory in the Christian life. And the answer is, it is. That's the victory. Now, you've heard all your life that you sin and you confess your sin. And then you're okay. And that's true. But that's not the basis for victory. That's not the basis. We'll see that. And then, where's Jesus and what's he doing? We'll see that. That's kind of fun. And then we're going to look at Jesus is coming and when and for whom and how that fits together. And you would be surprised. By the way, I want to show you something. I want to show you something real quickly. Just for fun, because we still got a little bit. Here's how the world, here's how 90% of Christians view the end time events. This is every denomination you can name, okay? Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. They probably don't get that straight. but they, And then we're in the church age, right? One of these days, Jesus is coming back. There'll be a great white throne judgment, and then there's eternity. That's how 90% of Christians view end times. You can name a denomination, I'll tell you which ones do. Church of Christ, Methodist, Presbyterian, Reformed, Catholic. You just start naming them. Lutheran. They all hold to this view right here. Now, there's another view that says Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. We're in the church age. And one of these days, Jesus is going to come in the clouds and get us and take us out. That's called the rapture. Then there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. Then there'll be a second coming of Christ. And then there'll be a thousand-year reign of Christ. And then there'll be a great white throne judgment. Most people hold to this. This isn't biblical at all. So, where is Jesus? What's he doing? When's he coming? And who's he coming for? And that'll be a lesson toward the very end. But I just want you to see that. So that's why when the left... How many people uh, in here ever read the Left Behind series? The Left Behind series is based off this right here. Because that's the Bible. Did you know most denominations are based like this? And when the Left Behind series came out and they were selling millions of books and many people in their churches were going to their pastors and saying, what about the rapture? What about the tribulation? And they would say... We don't believe in any of that. In fact, they wanted them to stop reading those books. They're good books because they fit, they, fit the, they fit the end time events of the scripture. They do. Okay, anyway, that's the outline. So let me do this. We're going to look at um, these four things. Truths concerning salvation, truths concerning Christian life, truths concerning the work of Christ, and truths concerning the future. So let me do this real quickly, and we'll do it fast because of time. Let me give you a preview of the next lesson, okay? The Bible's got one book, and how many other books? 66. How many is the Old Testament? 39. How many New Testament? 27. How many authors? Over 40. How many years did it take to write the Scripture? Old Testament was about 1,400, and the New Testament about 100. So from 90, basically 50 years in the New Testament from 95 to, I mean, from 45 to 95. You ever realize this? I mean, let me just draw, let me get this out of the way. 
There's Jesus and his death and resurrection. And the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And the Old Testament is every aspect of the Old Testament deals with Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. You may be surprised, but the priesthood, the sacrifices, the feast days, the offerings, every aspect look forward to the coming of Christ. The New Testament all looks back to Jesus Christ. And we have the, the Gospels and the book of Acts, which is history about Jesus. And then we have all the letters, which are written to the churches about Christ. And then you have the book of Revelation, which gives us the future, what's going to happen in the future. So that's the Bible. That's a quick view of the Bible. So if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament was saying, here he comes. The New Testament said, there he was. <laughs> that's it. That's the book. How do we look at the Bible? If the Word of God is living, active, sharpening two-edged sword, piercing forth the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow. And look at this. The Bible is able to judge the thoughts, what you think, and intentions, why you think it. Boy, that's something. Thy Word is truth, John 17, 17. So let me give you some key points and some applications and we'll be through for tonight, okay? First key point, uh, key point is this. Because of Adam's sin, and you don't have to write all this down if you don't want to. I mean, you don't have to write every word down. That just, I just want you to think about this. Because of Adam's sin, all people come into this world dead in sin and need a Savior. Because of Adam's sin, every person comes into this world and they, they're dead. We're spiritually dead. Uh, dead in our trespasses and sins, okay? The good news message deals with the death and resurrection of Christ. The response is to believe in Him for what? Eternal life. That's it. Look at that. If you just had this one thing right here, if you get this one thing tonight just to make sure you've got it locked in, you got it because that's the message. Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believes in Him will never perish but have everlasting life. Many churches do not have a plan to train believers, and many believers do not even understand their purpose. <clears throat> if you were in a church that trained you, you were very fortunate. Very fortunate. And then number four, we are to help fellow believers to become mature in Christ so they can make disciples. You're to train people, faithful people, so they'll be able to turn around and do the same thing. That's what it's all about. Okay, I'm going to give you some. Are you all ready for applications? How are you close? <clears throat> you don't have to write down every word. Um, most churches don't have a plan to train people. Uh, we're to help people become mature in Christ. That's basically the answers. Most people got it? Okay, here's some applications, okay? First one is this. let's understand man's fallen condition and the need for a Savior. Now let me say this. If you actually believe this, you'll share your faith. If you don't, you won't. If we actually believe that man is fallen and needs a Savior, we would tell people about Christ. But if you say, well, I've never shared my faith with anybody, then obviously you don't really think people are going to hell. I'm, I'm tempted to throw this out. I asked this in, in membership training, and I ask it this way. How many of you believed in Christ to keep from going to hell? Raise your hand if you believed in Christ to keep from going to hell. See, I raise my hand. Everybody else starts raising their hand. Right? Why did you trust him? He's your what? Savior. Savior, Savior from what? For the wages of sin is what? 
and the death is separation from God. Where, do you, where is the separation from God? It is in the lake of fire, right? So why did you believe in Jesus Christ? He's your Savior. You believed in Him to give you what? Eternal life instead of eternal separation from God. So when you ask that, when you ask that question, it, it looks like it's a, a bad thing. Oh, yeah. I've had people say, oh, no, I never trusted him to keep from going to hell. I trusted him because I, I wanted to serve him. I said, you were dead in sin. You didn't have any understanding of serving God. Okay? Second, let's be clear on the gospel message and the response to the gospel. So be clear. Sometimes after these lessons, you're, you're afraid to say anything because you're afraid it's going to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, don't be scared. I'll tell you when you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, third one, let's be faithful to make disciples, sharing our faith and equipping fellow believers. That's what we do, making, that, sharing our faith, evangelism, and equipping fellow believers training. That's what we're supposed to do. So let's be faithful to do it. This is why it's called the challenge. This first lesson is the challenge. And it's hard. Is it easy to share your faith? What do you think? Say, tell the truth. No, it's not because you don't want people to not like you and you've got this neighbor and you, they've been friends for years and you think if you bring it up, it might make them mad and then they won't be a good neighbor anymore. So we, let's let them go to hell and, and, you know, and be a good neighbor. I mean, so think about it. That's what we're saying. We're, we're so afraid we're going to make somebody mad and they won't be our friend anymore. But do we care whether they, what, what, do they know the message? My twin sister trusted Christ before I did. I didn't know she trusted Christ. I didn't know anything about it. I was 19. And one day I came home. I, you know, we were at two different places because I was off at college. She was at a different place. And one, and one day we were together, and I said something about that I had believed in Christ for salvation and eternal life. And she said, oh, I, I did that. You know, I said, really? Why didn't you tell me? And she said, I, I thought you knew. And, and, I mean, I wasn't mad at her, but I thought, why didn't you tell me? And somebody could look at you and say, well, if, if, you, if this is right, why haven't you told me? Let's have an understanding of how the Word of God fits together. And it'll take you the rest of your life. But you can know the big stuff. 